Pastor Phil's and Sherry's friendship to Dar and I means a great deal. Um, I bet I talk to to Phil at least once a week, and if you might know, they're, they're doing a great job here. Um, <laughs> as you may or may not know, we live in a motorhome. We're parked out back here right now, and we spend, well, we've been, we're seven and a half years into a two-year commitment to tour America, <laughs> and so we've been, we've been touring and visiting, and uh, we've been wintering in Arizona, but we love coming back here to Bethany, and um, it's one of the things we look forward to. We have family here, but the, your, your, this fellowship, this, this community, this church means a great deal to us. And so this morning when Phil asked me to preach, I said, I'd like to preach about my favorite story in the Bible. And he said, what's that? And I said, the prodigal son. And he said, okay, sure. Now everybody knows the prodigal son story, and we've all heard it messages on it, but I think this morning I'm going to change your head a little bit. I'm going to mess with you. Because I think that the story of the prodigal son has a lot more meaning than you realize. I'm going to do this so I don't trip. Um, the, um, the story is usually used to talk about the prodigal in the way back. And there's a truth in that. I'm not, I will talk about that some as we go on. But there's other parts of the story that are really important that we pay attention to. And they work for every one of us. I've thought about this story so much. <laughs> if you were at Community Covenant uh, a few years ago, I did eight weeks. Eight weeks on just this story. And I had the church reading at least two books, and I had read at least ten books on the prodigal. And I go, why are there so many books written on this one story? It seems like there's more. The cross, yes, definitely more, but there's not too many parables that get this much attention in writers and thought and everything. And so, so I've learned some things about this that have changed my life. In fact, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you want real clear answers about this, this is probably not the sermon, but if you want a really good tool that provide answers for your life, this is going to be an amazing message for you. The story that I want to tell is found in Luke, Luke um, 15. That's where the prodigal is, and we're going to read some sections of it. If you've got your, your Bible, you might want to turn to it. It's in Luke 15, um, verse 11, I believe it starts in. And you can turn to there, and if you've got a phone or something, you want to keep it out and follow along, that's fine. But we're going to be doing an interpretation. Stories are, fill our imagination. The story, the, one of the most unique things about this book compared to all other holy writings, the Koran, whatever holy writing you want to hold up is saying, what about this Bible of ours is unique because it's a story. From Genesis to Revelation, there's one story. And then there's all these stories woven within the story. And then there's stories that, aren't, that are told stories. Like the prodigal, where Jesus just says there once was. Well, that's kind of interesting, and you can take a look at it there. But there's some things about it that you interpret. And a lot of folks have interpreted this story, as I said, 10 books and different things. But one of my favorite interpretations is by Rembrandt. You remember Rembrandt, the artist? Can you put the Rembrandt painting up for me? 
The name of this painting is The Return of the Prodigal. The actual painting I've never been able to see because it's in St. Petersburg, Russia. It's 10 feet tall. I've read about people who have sat in front of it for eight, 10 hours at a time, days on end, amazed at the depth because they say as the light transitions, that it somehow has natural light in the museum where it's at, and as the light transitions through the day, it reveals more and more things. And Rembrandt is doing an interpretation, but there's one thing that stands out about this painting, The Return of the Prodigal, if you think about it. You want to know what the biggest thing is? Nothing in this painting is in the Scripture. It's all an interpretation. If you look at it, you notice the, the, the man with the red cape with his hands down. That's the father. He's got his hands on the prodigal. And up on the right, with the red cape, is the elder brother. I've asked them to just leave that painting up, or that print, uh, image of the painting, just on the wall today while I talk. There'll be no other slides through this message. And you can look at that. If you find me boring, study that. Rembrandt obviously isn't boring. <laughs> so feel free to look at that rather than me. But the story starts like this says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Stop. Let's call this the father's seat at the table. What do you think? Let me tell you a little bit about what it would mean to be a farm, to own a large enough farm where you had servants in Jesus' day. Let me ask this question. How many here work or are involved with a family business? Anybody work for a family business, family owned? Do you all work for corporations? Interesting. You have, how many belong to a family run church? Ah, uh, raise your hands. Oh, I'm not unconvinced at all that this isn't one of the most biblical models of running a church. Let me explain. There were no corporate structures, no legal structures at all for a corporation, for a company, for anything other than a family-run farm in Jesus' day. Everything depended on the, the man and family who owned the farm. Every value that was in that community was dictated by the head of that family. Because the farm ran by what he said, and that provided the wealth for everybody else to live. Okay, makes sense? So what do you think the number one desire of the Father is in Jesus' story? That his sons would adopt his values. Think about that. If you were in a family-run business, it's being passed on to the sons. I have friends that have worked in family-run businesses. What they're most concerned about is 
Will the sons mirror the father's values and continue the business the way, it should, the way they want it to go? Or will it change dramatically and everything will shift? And so from the father who represents God in the parable, the number one question is, will my sons adopt my values and follow my life? Will they realize their responsibility to who? In the story, one of the things you seldom hear talk about is the servants. The servants who lived off that farm. The servants who were concerned about the day-to-day goings-on, who were very aware of what the father was thinking all the time, because their life depended on it. God sits here, and he looks at his sons, in all the communities, and he wonders, will you adopt my values? That's what God asks. Every son, every daughter. And there's other people sitting at the table besides the two sons. The story never mentions the mother. Chances are the mother was in the room. Never mentions the servants. We know the servants were in the room because they keep being talked about. There was a lot of them because they show up in the story in a lot of different ways. But everybody knew what the father represented. Everybody understood the father's values. And the question for me, the greatest question in the parable that we're looking at, is will you adopt the father's values? Hmm. Everything hangs on that. Your wealth your future, all the people that are being supplied from this table, your sisters, your mother. Will you to adopt the values when I die or as I leave it to you? Well, I have a friend in Haiti, has a large business, family-run business, no legal structure to maintain the business. Lots and hundreds of people live off his business, farmers and everything. He had a daughter that was deciding to go a different way. I'd say, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? And say, oh, wait, wait. Finally sat down with her one day after about two years. She was getting mixed up with a guy who was doing drug trades and everything else. She sat down and said, said her name and said, let me make this clear. If you continue with him, You'll never have a part of our business. You'll never be hungry, but you'll never have a voice in anything that happens from here forward. She understood what that meant. She understood the value of the community. One week later, she was, the guy was gone, and she was sitting at father's table again. What was that like? Well, that's what happened here. The Bible says that I don't need to read it. You know the story. Now he was sitting at the table, and he asked the father, I want all that I have coming to me. I want half your wealth. Think about all the onlookers, all the other people sitting at the table, the elder brother sitting there. What are you doing? Are you crazy? 
It wasn't a one-time event. He'd been showing signs all along. He was always asking questions and doing things and taking off and doing things. Do you ever take off and do things? Do you ever feel like this is too much, this call on my life to follow God, this responsibility? Sometimes, some, I know I do. Sometimes I just want to go, I'm out of here. I, got, I need a day without God. I need a day to do my own thing. Well, this guy was making a bigger statement. He was saying, after a few days when he had his money, realized all he had, he took off. The Bible says he went to a distant land. And there he, he did wild things. Talks about women, drinking. He did wild things out here. They didn't just happen. He'd been thinking about it for a long time over there. He rejected everything the Father wanted. He sat over here. You ever been in this seat, even for a day? I have. Be honest. I'm a pastor. I'm never supposed to be in this seat. I have. I'm not proud of it. Well, he's out here, and he's carrying on. His brother, his brother stays close to home and takes care of the fields. Can you imagine the conversations he was having with the servants? Man, what are we going to do, you know? You know, what are we going to do? The, half the wealth is gone, half of everything is gone. What are we going to do? I don't know what he's up to. We just got to go along with it. He usually gets it right in the end, but we better just go along with it. You ever think like that? I don't know what he's doing. Let's just keep taking care of the fields. We'll see what happens. We got to eat, you know. I don't know if I can trust him. That conversation probably going on with this brother a lot. There's an interesting line about this guy. It says, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, he realized that his father's servants were eating better than him because he had been, he'd gone bust. He'd, he'd, everything he had was gone. He was eating pig pods and feeding pigs. Can you imagine a Jew boy feeding pigs? He'd gone to the bottom of the barrel. Couldn't be much lower. And he starts thinking about life back home. Meals, wealth, servants. So he works up a little script in his head. And it says something like this. Father, I have sinned against God and you. Let's read the actual script because it's so great. 
I love this script. You, you, I bet you've created scripts like this. I have. They're great. They're always special. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I read a poem written by, actually a poem by a friend. And she talks about, in the poem, him rehearsing the, the speech. Do you ever rehearse the speech when you're coming home and you're trying to get, have you ever rehearsed the speech? Come on. Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called. Was that his attitude? Was it? Father, I'm no longer, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. You can come home with either attitude, same speech. We don't know what his attitude was. See, that's one of the things about this story, this questions. What was his attitude? How did he come home? But the Bible has this incredible statement. It says, while he was a long ways off, the father saw him coming and went out to him. You gotta think about that for a minute. While he was a long ways off, the father saw him coming and went out to him. Think about that with me for a minute. While he was a long the father's running a farm. He's got servants, but somehow he's going to the window all the time and looking for his son, looking for you, looking for me, always looking for us to come home. The father goes out to meet him. And he starts his little speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven. And the father stops him midway and says, no, stop. Throws his arms around him, says to his servants, kill the fatted calf. Get the best robe. Put it on him. He's my son that was dead is now alive. He throws a party. Uh-oh. What value? What value does he want him to show? What value does he want him to adopt? He throws a party for the renegade son, the prodigal, the crazy kid, the kid that can't be trusted, the kid that always had a wild eye, the kid that was out everywhere. He throws a party for him and invites him home. How outrageous is that? That is outrageous grace. That's outrageous love. That's outrageous. And that's the value of the Father that he wants him to have. He's so far from it, he doesn't know what's going on. How far are you from it? How far are you from adopting God's value for the people in your life? That you'll accept them home throw a party for them no matter where they've been. 
that you'll put robes on them to take the stink away, that you'll put out the best food for them. There's people in every one of our lives that have run away. And we justify, they need to be out there. They need to suffer for a while. It's not what the Father says. The Father says when they come home, you need to throw a party. God throws a party for you, but you need to throw a party for them. See, the story's us adopting God's values. I'm the prodigal sometimes, but then there's this guy. He's the most interesting character of them all. He's been looking the pot ever since he's been gone. He's looking so fine. He's got the red coat on. He looks so fine. I love what Rembrandt does. I got to talk about this. I love that Rembrandt has him looking on to the father receiving the prodigal. But I don't know if you can see it. There's a stick in his hands like this that makes him strong, and he's a step above. Oh, Rembrandt, you're killing me. <laughs> you're killing me. That's attitude. The prodigal's got his shoe broken. He's got old clothes on. The father's putting his hands on him. The servants are looking on. And the other brother's going, I'm not sure about this. Oh my gosh. He stands outside. He hears the party going on. He hears the band playing. They're dancing. And he's hurting. Have you ever been hurting when somebody's being celebrated and you're not because you think you should be celebrated? I, I worked for AT&T for years. I can remember, I can even remember this as a pastor. I won't use those stories. But being jealous of somebody getting a promotion when I thought I should have. I know none of you have ever experienced that. <laughs> that type of jealousy has been abdicated from our society, right? You ever been jealous of somebody getting a new house, new car, better clothes, new boyfriend, new girlfriend, of the party they're getting? How happy they are. Oh my gosh. He was home all alone, but he never accepted the Father's values. He was in church every Sunday, but he never accepted the Father's values. He looked good, had the right clothes on, knew how to stand knew how to worship, but never got it.
See, now here's, here's one of the things about this, this story. You have to ask yourself right now, what are the Father's values? Over here, I have a question that I love to ask myself about this guy. We'll come back to him in a minute. I love to ask this question about this guy. I get the celebration. I get the party. I'm a father. I've had teenagers. I know what, how hard that must be to celebrate sometimes. But here's the question. What was breakfast like the next day? Well, that was a good party last night, son, but today we need to talk about the future and your responsibilities. Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. Did he come to breakfast with the story in his head? Do you go to breakfast with the story in your head? Here's what I love about that question, is I can't answer what breakfast was like. I only can say, how do I understand his values? Do you understand what I'm saying there? The way you understand God's values will determine how you imagine the breakfast. Think about that. The way you imagine God's values will determine how you can imagine what took place at breakfast. Does God just get angry at you? Does he love you unconditionally? Is he grace-filled? Oh my gosh, how do you imagine God? Not how do you know him, not what the Bible says about him, how do you personally imagine God? This guy's standing out here, and I love that the father went out to this guy, and the father goes out to this guy. It doesn't matter which extreme you're in, which side of this table you sit at, the father goes out to this guy. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. Pleaded with him. The, old, the father went out and pleaded with him. Oh, that's that values problem again. The father went out and pleaded with him. All these years I've been slaving for you and, every, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property, not mine, with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. That's an angry kid. That's an angry me. Yep, been that guy too. You? Looked like he was taking in the father's values. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother, not my son, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh-oh. So the father's value, when this son comes home, he celebrates him and takes him in. When this son comes home, he stands outside, the father goes out, and we don't know if he went in. Jesus never tells us if he went in because the question is to every one of us, would you go in? Could you celebrate the prodigal? Can you celebrate that promotion at work that you thought you should have had? Can you celebrate that guy that has the girlfriend, the girl that has the boyfriend, the couple that has the new house, the, the people that are making it somehow, <laughs> they received blessing when you thought you should have had the greater blessing because you were faithful all along, but they're getting the party and you're not. Can you celebrate them? Will you go in? It never tells us if he went in. Because if he went in, he would have had to look at his brother. He would have had to look at his father. And I'd like to think breakfast went this way. Father, tell me how to do it right. I've had this bitter thing in my pot. I've had this excuse. And I don't know how to do it. I don't know how you do it. I've watched you day in and day out, and you just love. How do you do it? How do you receive this guy back like that? I want to judge it. I want to judge him. I'm judging you because I'm judging him. It's all too painful. There's too many questions in this story. Do you come home? What attitude do you come home with? How do you celebrate at a party that you don't deserve? What do you do at breakfast? Do you go in? Do you stay out? Do you have an attitude when you come in? Do you let everybody know that's not right? Try to ruin the party? You go, oh, that's guys at the cake. And then after you go, you leave that guy. What do you do? How do you live your life out in front of all the onlookers? All the servants, the mothers, the sisters, the band. How do you live your life out in front of them? See, I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer it. 
more you think about the story, I could think I can create eight weeks worth of questions. But they're questions only you can answer for yourself. Because the question is all about this chair, not those two chairs. It's about adopting the Father's life. This is the guide to the Father's life. But you can know it, but not be able to go into the party, not be able to go to breakfast truthfully, stand outside, and know everything that's in that book. The elder brother knew it. And I think the sons knew it too, the, and he rejected it. Which one was more honest? Good question, isn't it? So then, a bit later, Jesus is sitting at a table with his friends. You can take your communion cups into your hands. Because communion is a homecoming. Let me have the idea. Does that slide show up? Communion a homecoming? I guess not. See, our communion, our, our celebration of Christ should set before us questions like this. Don't don't play, okay? I'd rather you didn't play. I'd rather you didn't play. They should set questions before us. Real questions. The Bible says Jesus took bread into his hands and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now here's the question. Before you do anything with the bread in your hand, Remember what? I think there's a transcendence nature to that question. I think that question is not just to remember the past, but to remember him and what he taught us. Because he was teaching from this chair. So now we take a piece of bread into your hand. Jesus took bread into his hand. He broke it and said, this is given for you. Do this remembering me. Remembering how close or how far you've been to living God's values. That's why it's a transcendent moment, because it's a moment of now, not just a moment in the past. Let's eat together and remember.
Jesus, when we remember the values that you set before us in a transcendent and real way into our lives at this moment, we know we're not adequate. We're not sure about how we've returned home or even if we have returned home. We're not sure about how we would behave at a breakfast. We're not sure if we'd even come into the party. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. And that's what the cup helps us with. The cup is for the forgiveness of sins. It's for those places you're so far away that you don't know how to get back and you need forgiveness. The Bible says Jesus took cup into his hands. And he said, this is for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. No matter where you are, no matter how far away you are, no matter how stuck you are and angry and feel like you've been betrayed, no matter where you are, the cup reminds us transcendently of forgiveness and welcomes us home to God's table. It welcomes us to return to sit at the table again with the Father and realize his love. And for all those who look on to see that we're at peace at God's table. So he took the cup, held it in his hand, and he said, this is for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this. Remember me. Let's drink together. Jesus, oh, how we love you, and oh, how we stray. Thank you that your grace and your forgiveness is sufficient, and welcome us home as we turn back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The prayer partner is Phil. I'm turning over to you. Thank you, Pastor Dennis. You know, everything is about, everything's really about going home to God all the time. The Bible says that uh, we have a high priest who's entered the heavenlies, that we may go into the throne of grace to receive grace to help in time of need. So no matter what need you have this morning, our needs are met. Jesus called uh, healing the children's bread. So the table metaphor is perfect. So some of you need healing this morning for your, for your body, your soul. Some of you are in, stuck in one of these chairs. You, you know you've rebelled against God. You've 
broken all the rules. And so you need to come and be prayed for for that. Uh, some of you are stuck in resentment. And you've done everything perfect. You've, you've kept all the rules. But emotionally, you're stuck in resentment and you're stuck in hate. You're, you're stuck in uh, 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 an, an attitude that doesn't allow you to be soft or broken or really enjoy. See, uh, both sons both sons stopped enjoying the father's presence in different ways. So it's, it's really, the story is really about two kinds of sinners. They neither had a right, right relationship with the father until we don't know if the elder brother ever got it right or not. Good, good question. So I want you to come and be prayed for. You come right now. You don't have to wait. You come while I'm talking. Come on up and be, be prayed for. What, maybe you, need, just, you just have one of the routine situation in your life. Come on up and be prayed for.